Well, I invite you to take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. Having exhorted Christian wives in verses 1 through 6 last Lord's Day morning, in our time together this morning, I want to examine Peter's exhortations to Christian husbands in verse 7. And how providential it is that in our verse-by-verse study of the book of 1 Peter that we find ourselves in this text on Mother's Day. Lest the husbands got a little smug last week as I dealt with the duties of the wife, now it's time for the preacher to get after the husbands, not just on any Sunday, but on Mother's Day Sunday. So women, this sermon is my pastoral Mother's Day gift to you. And husbands, if you were nudging your wife last week during the message, it's payback time. It's time to gird up your loins as a man and listen up because God, through the Apostle Peter, has a challenging word for you. Should we pray again or are we okay to proceed? And husbands, if I see you getting up during the message trying to get a drink of water, we've got the ushers in place to send you back to your seat. Many of the men wanted to work the nursery today. We only allow women to do that. Sorry, not going to escape. 1 Peter chapter 3, I'll begin reading in verse 1 to set the context and highlight the responsibility of both husband and wife in the marriage relationship. 1 Peter 3 verse 1, Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word... They also may, without the word, be won by the conversation or the conduct of the wives. While they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear, whose adorning let it not be that outward adorning of plaiting the hair and of wearing of gold or of putting on of apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit which is in the sight of God of great price. For after this manner in the old time, the holy women also who trusted in God adorned themselves being in subjection unto their own husbands. Even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters ye are, as long as ye do well, and are not afraid with any amazement. And then our text this morning, verse 7. Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife, as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. Now, before I expound upon the attributes of a godly husband given to us in verse 7, I think it might be helpful if I begin by making a few introductory thoughts that surfaced in my mind in my personal reflection of verses 1 through 7. And the question staring me in the face over the last two weeks is this. 
Why does Peter spend six verses addressing the wives and only one verse addressing the husbands? Have you ever thought about this before? My question is a valid, thought-provoking question that none of the commentators in their commentaries provide an answer for. I mean, if you look at the text, you cannot deny that Peter's sermon to the wives is far more lengthy and far more detailed than his sermon to the husbands. And the curious question I've been wondering is, why is this? Why does Peter give exhortation after exhortation after exhortation, followed by detailed explanations and convicting illustrations to Christian wives, when Christian husbands only get one concise command given in one verse? Well, let me offer to you why I think this is so, and I have two thoughts. Reason number one, men can only handle short commands. I know you think that's funny, but it's true. Let's be honest for a moment. Generally speaking, women are good listeners who can follow a preacher preaching a long sermon in deeper detail while men struggle because they have a shorter attention span. Now, I know this first reason is subjective, but I think it may hold weight. I think Peter is shorter in his message with the men and longer with the women because he knows what each party can handle. He is a man. Six verses for the women, one verse to the man. The second reason I think Peter addresses the women at length, is because it is more difficult to submit to someone than to lead someone. And in the wife's particular case, it is more difficult to submit to her husband because Peter knows that the woman, since the fall of man in Genesis 3, has a real battle placing herself under the authority of a man. So my thought is, Peter addresses the women more than the men in regards to their struggles because lack of biblical femininity and submission is what the world as a whole mocks at and rejects. And thus the women that he is addressing need an extra dose of encouragement and help to do what God wants them to do. So Peter spends six verses addressing the women because he knows their case is much harder, much more difficult. And obviously, God, who is the primary author of Scripture, who is the one influencing Peter to write what he wrote, knows our particular struggles, and he knows what each person in the marriage relationship needs to zero in on. So for the wives, God says, women, focus on submitting. Focus on holding your tongue. Make yourself inwardly beautiful more than outwardly beautiful. And exercise faith in God as you follow your husband. Those are the attributes that you need to work on. And now for the husbands, God says, men... Lest you think that you have liberty to treat your wife as a slave because I've commanded the wives to submit to you, you better think again. 
Lest you think because God has ordained you to be the head of the home that then as you think the wife's place is in the kitchen cooking you meals all day, the wife is someone to be seen and not heard who exists to do every command at the snap of your fingers. You better do a checkup from the neck up. It's in the Greek several times in that text. Check up from the neck up. Do you see the text addressing what might be the natural response of the husband? The natural response for the wife is to resist leadership. So now he's dealing with the natural response of the husband. And the natural response of the husband, knowing that the wife is to submit, is to take advantage of a domineering spirit. Having heard the lengthy sermon on women submitting, the husband might be sitting in church as he's hearing this letter read publicly, thinking, my wife needs to get with it. She needs to know that I'm the man, I'm the head of the home, I'm the boss, I'm like Abraham, and she's like Sarah, so she needs to do everything I say without question and without criticism. And here comes the Apostle Peter saying in so many words, though it is true that you are the God-ordained, God-appointed leader of your home and your wife is expected to submit to your leadership, there are a few important truths you need to understand and implement in the guiding of your wife. So Peter here in verse 7 gives divine guidance regarding what... Christian husbands are to do in regards to their wives, how they are to do it, and why they should do as they are expected to do. Or to put it in another workable outline, we have three strong exhortations, two sensible contemplations, and one solemn motivations. You see, men need ABCs and one, two, threes. Three strong exhortations, two sensible contemplations, one solemn motivations. So looking first to what Christian husbands are commanded to do, notice with me the three strong exhortations of the text. Peter says, Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them. Speaking of their wife. And we'll pause here for a moment. Here we find the first duty of the husband, which is a great need for the wife. And what is it? Simply put, it is cohabitation. Cohabitation. Dwell with them. Now, why do you suppose Peter has to tell Christian husbands to dwell with their wives? Isn't this obvious? Isn't the truth that... Husband and wife are to dwell together, universally known and understood by the husband before he finds a bride? Well, not necessarily. There was a way of thinking during Peter's day that is still common today that is of the persuasion that marriage is the means whereby husbands and wives can have children as God intends. For some men, marriage is the avenue where they can preserve the family name 
or naturally breed built-in servants who will work for them for free. And likewise, there's a wrong way of thinking that I have referenced already that sets man as the sovereign king of his home and the woman as this unheard slave who is to remain out of the husband's presence unless he calls for her. And not only that, but I think Peter in the same breath is confronting the husband who is married to the unsubmissive nag. The woman not practicing the principles laid out in verses 1 through 6. Peter has already addressed for the wife the principles about being married to a lost man. Now he's addressing on the husband's part, what do we do if we're married to a nag, maybe even an unbelieving wife? What are we to do? Because it's a real temptation for a husband married to a nag to dwell in the wilderness rather than go home to his wife who resists his authority and guidance. So Peter says, as hard as it is, men, you need to dwell with her. And this is the heart of a God-fearing husband. The heart of a God-fearing husband is to abide with his wife. And this means getting into the details of life, that they are not only to share a house, but they are to share a bed. They are to share a bank account. They are to share time. They are to share thoughts with each other so that they might serve the Lord together. And take note of that word, together. The biblical expectation of marriage is for man and wife to be together. Excuse me, men, but if a wife is to submit to her husband and follow his leadership, then he needs to be around to lead her. Just as a manager in the workplace needs to oversee and communicate to his employees, just as a shepherd needs to be among the sheep to shepherd, so the husband needs to be home when he is not providing for the family to dwell with his wife. So this idea that a man can leave home early in the morning, go to work all day, and then go to the gym, hang out with his buddies until dinner time, eat a quick dinner that the wife has slaved over, and then watch TV or play video games for hours wanting to be left alone until it's time to go to sleep is a sure recipe for disaster in a marriage. This foolish notion That the Christian husband can have a strong, healthy marriage while keeping a job that requires him to be gone weeks and months away from his wife and home is absolutely contrary to the Scripture. God has intended from the beginning that the husband and wife dwell together. God expects husbands and wives to talk to each other. There's a concept. God has designed the husband and wife to be affectionate with each other. Just read the book of Song of Solomon. God has intended for husbands and wife to help each other spiritually and to do all that they can to mold their children for the Lord together. It's okay to say amen, wives. Listen, husbands, you may not understand 
the biological makeup of your wife, but just take it from me when I say that she needs you to be around. She needs you home when you're not providing for the household. She needs your love. She needs your affection. She needs your attention. She needs your time. While you may be tempted to think that she only wants your money, the Bible tells us very plainly that she needs your leadership, your guidance, your counsel, and your example. So there's exhortation number one. Husbands, dwell with your wife. What do Christian husbands need to understand about their wife? They need to understand that God has commanded them to know the state of their flock by giving face-to-face quality time with their domestic herd. Quality time, quantity time. So burn, burn this false idea that says, well, I give my wife, I give my family quality time. I spend an hour with them a week and it's quality. Well, they not only need quality time, they need quantity of time. So burn that word cohabitation, men, on the front of your mind. And when I say cohabitation, I do not mean living unmarried, but being together as married man and wife. Cohabitation. Husbands, dwell with your wife. Not dwell with your buddies. Not dwell with your workmates, but with your wife and your children. And in the second exhortation given by Peter, I want the men in this auditorium to burn the word consideration next to that word cohabitation. Cohabitation and then the word consideration. Peter says, husbands, dwell with them according to the knowledge. And the natural question that stems from this statement is knowledge of, of what? Here it is. Husbands are to dwell with their wives according to the knowledge of how God made each person different. Husbands are to dwell with their wives according to their unique giftings. Husbands are to dwell with their wives according to what God has said in His Word. Regarding the roles and the responsibilities that each person is to have. They are to dwell with them according to the principles of the Christian faith. And how Christ loved his church. Consideration, husbands. Consideration. Are you dwelling with your wife according to knowledge? Let me ask you, do you understand that you are called to love your wife as Christ loves the church. Do you recognize that God has provided in your home a helpmeet, someone who can help speak sense into your life? Do you consider that which pleases her? Have you ever asked her what's important to her? Have you ever kept your mouth shut and inquired her counsel and truly listened to your wife and her wisdom? Come on, men, be honest. Let your toes be stepped on if needed. It's for your good. It's for the good of your marriage, for the good of your wife, for the benefit of your home. 
If you are to love your wife as Christ loved the church, you must come to swallow the fact that Christ is not an overpowering tyrant who leads by force. Your wife is not a little Marine to boss around. Come on, Marines, help me out. How does Christ shepherd his people? Christ is a meek, gentle, gracious shepherd. He has all authority. He's the creator. And yet, he leads his sheep according to knowledge. Knowledge of what? Well, Christ leads his sheep according to the knowledge that we, as his people, have imperfections and weaknesses. Christ leads us considering our frame, knowing that we easily forget and we are constantly failing. Christ, the good, all-powerful, sovereign shepherd and savior, knows how to deal with us because he knows our frame. So we need to dwell with our wives according to knowledge. According to knowledge. What specific attributes does a Christian husband need to work out in his marriage relationship? Number one, cohabitation. Number two, consideration, and then third, adoration. Adoration. Burn that word adoration on your mind. There'll be a pop quiz after this. Cohabitation. You got it? Consideration. Wives, press your husband after the sermon. What are the three points? I'm going to call pastor if you don't get it right. And then adoration. Look back at verse 7. Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge giving honor to your wife. Now, you may not have recognized this before, but what Peter says here was a radical teaching in the world Peter lived in. In the ancient world and in many cultures today, a husband has absolute right over his wife and the wife has virtually no rights in the marriage at all. It was not uncommon then And it's not uncommon today for a husband to treat his wife as a hired slave or as a person who can gratify his sexual desires. So to correct such an unbiblical way of thinking, to come at this worldly philosophy in a strong way, Peter wants to make sure that the Christian husband knows that it is his God-given responsibility to honor his wife. Let me help you out with this a little bit. This means, men, expressing your love and appreciation of her to her verbally. Well, I think it. Doesn't that count? Well, yes. But if you think it, say it. Let it be known. Don't criticize her. Don't put her down. Definitely do not compare her cooking to your mom's cooking or compare her with other wives. But express verbally. Don't we see that also in the book of the Song of Solomon? Verbal affirmations of praise, one for the other. There's the example. Let your wife know that you love her, that she's your everything. You're so glad, you're so blessed that God in His sovereignty 
place you together in marriage. This also means, men, that you need to show by your actions that she's valued, that she's honored. So, yes, we must say it, but then we must back up what we say by our selfless actions. That means on Mother's Day, buy her a Mother's Day card. And when it's not Mother's Day, look for opportunity to just buy her a card at random and write a sweet little note in that. You say, we can buy cards and flowers outside of Mother's Day and Valentine's Day? Yes! They do sell it at the Dollar Tree throughout the year. Purchase her flowers, not just on anniversary, but at some random moment. When she's discouraged, when she needs a helping hand, take her out on a date, spoil her with things that she likes. Do you know what she likes? Honor her. Treat her as someone special. What Peter is exhorting cuts right through the commonly heard statement made by husbands boasting in the fact that he has done his part to protect and to provide for the wife. Have you heard husbands say this? Well, look, I've given her a nice home. I've given her a nice car. She has nice clothes. She has a closet full of shoes. I provide her with food. And sometimes I even send her out with my credit card to the mall. What else does she need? She needs you to adore her. She wants and needs to know that you appreciate all that she does. She wants and needs to know that she means the world to you. That she's the desire of your eyes. And if you're struggling to find a reason why you would say that to your wife, just remind yourself that she's the only woman who is willing to marry you and put up with you. Look, doesn't Christ, the bridegroom, do more than just protect and provide for our physical needs? Doesn't Christ speak loving words and show loving deeds to his bride? So we are to do likewise. Ephesians chapter 5, 28 through 29. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. You nurture and you care for your body. You shave. You comb your hair. You take a shower. That's all great and fine and needed, by the way. But just as you take care of your own body, take care of your wife because she's one with you. He that loveth his wife loveth himself, for no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth it and cherisheth it even as the Lord, the church. God forbid that we should nourish and cherish our guns and our cars more than our wife. Proverbs 31, Who can find a virtuous woman? For her price is far above rubies. Her children arise up and call her blessed. Her husband also. And he praiseth her. Listen, men, when was the last time you praised your wife? When was the last time you told her? You appreciate all she does for you and your home. Tied in with this third strong exhortation are the two sensible contemplations. Fused in with the what is the how. How should Christian men treat their wives? Notice it. Likewise, ye husbands dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel. Now, this is not a derogatory term but it refers to God's created order of humanity. 
The wife, generally speaking, is weaker physically and emotionally. That's just how God has made them. So the husband who dwells according to such knowledge is to be mindful of this and treat his wife gently, tenderly, delicately, as opposed to roughly and thoughtlessly. It's the difference between one of those disposable red cups and a fine piece of china. A disposable red cup you can take, you can squeeze, you can break, you can throw it away. You're not really caring for it, but a fine piece of china, which is expensive, you handle very delicately. You hold it and place it to the table very tenderly. And so it is with your wife, Peter says. You are to honor her as the weaker vessel, as opposed to being rough and thoughtless, arrogant, and tyrannical. So the husband is to treat his wife as unto the weaker vessel. Notice also, the husband is to dwell with his wife as heirs together of the grace of life. Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel and as being heirs together of the grace of life. This means that the godly husband realizes that his spouse is not only his wife, but if she is a Christian, she is his sister in Christ a treasured daughter of the king. Have you ever thought about this before? Your wife, if she's in Christ, is a daughter of the king of kings and lord of lords. Are you treating her as such? You're both equal, Peter's telling us. In grace and love and in favor with God, you're not superior to her, spiritually speaking. And this is why Paul in Ephesians 5 says, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be with holy and without blemish. Men, you will stand before the Lord one day and give an account of how you washed your wife with the water of His Word, how you nourished and cherished her spiritually. You're the head of the home. Deuteronomy chapter 6. You are the main discipler of your family. You can't push it on the pastor. Now, you're the priest of the home. You're the prophet of the home. You're the shepherd. So shepherd them. As one who's together in the grace of life. As one who's married to the daughter of a king. Treat her with such honor and respect. And then Peter concludes with the solemn motivation as to why husbands should do as God commands. And not only does God command us to treat our wives in such a way, therefore we ought to do it. God says that we ought to do it. Peter says, if you don't treat your wife in such a way... God will stand against you. Notice it. Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life. Here's the motivation, that your prayers be not hindered. Now, this is quite a statement. Peter is saying how husbands relate to their wife 
is directly related to how God will deal with them. He is saying that to disobey God's command here has serious spiritual consequences. Peter is saying that it is a sin to treat your wife contrary to that which God has commanded, and such sin will prevent you from knowing God's richest blessing in your life. Listen, husbands, if you don't dwell with your wife according to knowledge, if you refuse to give honor to her as unto the weaker vessel, if you do not treat her as an equal heir of God's grace, then God in His divine displeasure toward you will not answer your prayers. How many of you men want that? I mean, listen, this ought to be something that we stop and consider. I know we're used to quickly passing over this statement, but this is a stern warning, and this is a promise given by God Himself. You must not presumptuously think that God will use you in His work publicly if privately you treat your wife as a dog. You say, are there such people? Absolutely, if you only knew. People who come into church playing a part, singing the songs, looking at as if everything is great, and then they get in the car and get home, and it's World War III. God knows. God sees. His eyes are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. And God is going to reward you or discipline you based on how you lead your wife. Listen, men, the principle staring us in the face is this. You cannot rightly dwell with God if you are not dwelling rightly with your spouse. You will not know God's blessing in your life if you treat your spouse like an uncaring object. So swallow it. Take heed to this. Having looked at the what, having looked at the how, having looked at the why, through the giving of three strong exhortations, two sensible contemplations, one solemn motivation, let me leave you with a few concluding pastoral remarks. Concluding comment number one. I'm thoroughly persuaded that the truths of God's Word are fully sufficient to heal and help all marriage problems. Let me say it again. I'm thoroughly persuaded that the truths of God's Word are fully sufficient to heal and help all marriage problems. I'm completely convinced that if, if, Christian wives and husbands would rightly understand and obediently practice all that is said in these seven verses, then their marriage would be that which God wants it to be. You see, most marriage problems arise when one or both parties refuse to do as God has commanded in regards to their domestic duties. So listen, husbands and wives, God has given us His Word so that we might have the wisdom to do as He expects. So obey it. Don't question it. Don't resist it. Obey it. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. You say, it's hard. Yes, the Christian life is hard. Jesus promises us two things in this life, a cross to die on and eternal life. 
No one said this was going to be easy. You put two sinners in a home. How is that easy? But God can use that to grow you in grace. God uses the marriage relationship so that we might learn by practice how to show love and mercy and forgiveness and patience. Do you realize that God puts man and wife together so that each party might learn how Christ loves us? Don't push that element aside. Bear it. He loved you when you were unlovable. He loved you when you were his enemy. He loved you when you wouldn't listen, when you ran the other way. He knocked on your heart's door over and over and over. That's the gospel in action. The answer to your questions, the answer to your problems in marriage is not primarily found in a counselor. Vain is the help of man according to God. It's not found in a book. It's not found in a marriage conference or a retreat. It's found here in 1 Peter chapter 3. Do we believe in the sufficiency of God's word or not? See, you, we want to lean upon the crutch of man's wisdom and man's understanding. Give me some 10-step program that I can put into place and fix my marriage in two weeks. Not going to happen. But if you obey the principles given in the word, you'll see God bless you in ways that you can never think or imagine. Concluding remark number two. I'm convinced that if Christian husbands, notice that word if, if Christian husbands would be the man God wants them to be, then Christian wives would be more willing and joyful to submit and follow their leadership. You see, Christ woos us unto Himself by His love. Christ willingly pursues us in His grace, shows us His kindness, shows us His forgiveness, shows us His patience. And if we go and do likewise, our wives will follow our leadership. Perhaps, men, our wives would find it easier to do as they are commanded to do if we are taking the lead. You see, Eve listened to Satan because Adam was failing in his leadership. The blame is not put on Eve, but on Adam. In Adam we fall. Our nature is the nature of Adam. If we are the head of the home, the buck stops with us. You men set the tone for your household. And I cannot tell you how many women come to church, how many women come to the counseling office saying, I want to be more faithful to church. I want to be involved in the things of God, but my husband doesn't want to. Oh, if only he would. This world is the way it is because men are not leading, guiding, and shepherding. So men, stop following your wife and be the man, be the leader you need to be. It's ordained by God. Concluding remark number three is to the single unmarried men. Single and married men, listen. Don't you even start looking for a wife unless you're willing to put these principles into practice. Those of you who are young men, thinking about how nice it would be to have a wife who will cook you fried chicken every night, you better wake up. 
You better see that marriage is not about you being served. Marriage is about taking a towel and bending down humbly to serve your wife. Yes? Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church. How did he love the church? He loves his church sincerely. He loves his church selflessly. He loves his church selflessly. He loves his church steadfastly. So young men who dream of being married one day, you better not look in the world. You better look in the church. And you would do well to wait, to watch, and to work. Wait in prayer. Wait on the Lord. Again, I say wait on the Lord. Wait for the right one. Men, single men, God brought Eve to Adam in his time. Adam did not go on the dating app. Desperately looking for anyone who would give them time and attention. Wait. Come on, men, help me out. Wait for the right one. Aren't you glad you waited for the right one? Wait, men, wait. I'm telling you, I'll, I'm keeping you from heartache, keeping you from sorrow, keeping you from potential divorce. Wait. We get in trouble when we are like Abraham and we don't wait. And we take matters into our own hand. Wait. And then watch. You say, watch. Yes, watch. Watch how godly husbands treat their wife in the church. Learn from their example. While you're waiting, watch. Look around. There are examples before us. See what you need to do at that time when you get married. And then start working. There's a bad word in our day. Work. You say work. Work toward being the God-fearing Christian that you need to be for your wife when you find her. Don't wait till you get married to then be dedicated to the things of God. Well, when I get married, when I have a family, then I'll be faithful to church. When I get married, when I'll have family, then I'll start thinking about spiritual things. No, you need to make yourself right with God now so that when you find the right one, and Lord willing, she is spiritually minded herself, that there's a unity in the Lord and in His work. Wait, watch, work. Finally, let let me make sure all of us understand that you husbands cannot love your wife as Christ loved the church if you don't know Christ. How can you? How can you operate according to Christ's plan if you don't know Christ's person? If the Spirit of God is not dwelling within you, you cannot rightly love your wife. And furthermore, if you are without Christ, what will being married profit your soul? What shall it profit a man if he finds a wife and loses his own soul? What shall it profit a woman if she finds a husband and loses her soul? If you are unmarried or married, but you don't have Christ, listen, when you die, you will go to hell. Those are Christ's words. Christ said, if you believe not that I am He, you will die in your sins. So the greatest need for you today is to be married to Christ. To find in Jesus Christ the satisfaction of your soul. What other foundation will you have in marriage if it's not Christ? 
What other principles will you abide by if it's not God's word? Two men depicted in Scripture. There's the wise man and the foolish man. The wise man built his house on the rock, on the teachings of God's word. And when the storms of life come, and will they come in marriage? They will come. But if you've become wise into salvation and you're standing upon the rock, your marriage, your home will be secure. But if you're foolish, if you reject Christ and you reject the teaching of His Word, the storms of life will come and everything will crumble. What's your foundation?